Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? It has been a week. So we went to um, Indianapolis this past weekend because my friend Kim had a birthday party for her son. So me, my mom, Harrison, James, we all flew down and I got to see all of my friends and everybody was like, oh, when are you coming back? And I was like, oh, y'all, I'm not. But I am going to do some travel medicine there um, this summer. So I will sort of kind of be back, just not permanently. But we had a really good time and it was Really good seeing some friends that I haven't seen in a really long time. How's your week been? Ah, 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 ah. Let's go back. If you said that you're not going back to Indy, that means are we going to? No, uh, uh-uh. that doesn't mean that just yet. So I still have, <sighs> no, I still have negotiations and things like that. So I, um, No, I'm going to Indy to do some locums work, meaning I will be helping to cover a clinic at a hospital there. And I know everybody at that clinic and they know me. So it feels like almost like going home, but I haven't quite decided anything permanent because everything's still in the works right now. So, okay, well, I will just hope and pray, hope and pray that you migrate over back onto the East Coast. There are plenty of medical jobs in D.C. if you'd like to come to D.C. Ooh, but it's cold. <laughs> it's cold in D.C. Listen, I the, the biggest reason for me to not go back to Indianapolis is the cold. Like, that is the thing that I remember. I'm like, oh, I really liked it. And, you know, it's sort of go with the flow, laid back atmosphere. I could do this. And then you get to December and you're like, wait a minute, what did I get myself into again? Uh-uh, I can't do it. So um, I'll probably be the same way in D.C. Yeah, it's cold in the winter and sweltering heat in the summer. So I completely agree. So as you know, yesterday, our electricity went out until today. And let me tell you, it was possibly the scariest moments of my life. So Ken had gone out. It was storming a little bit, but not like heavy enough that we didn't, you know, he couldn't go out. And the lights started flickering really randomly. The power lines were down. The electrical pole was down. The electricity was out for forever. When I tell you forever, like, I mean, I think that my phone had gotten down to 3%. And then I realized I don't know how to manually open my garage. So my car was stuck. So that's something that I'm going to make a concerted effort to learn this week is how do I manually open my garage? Because otherwise, my car was stuck inside. Thankfully, when Ken came in, he parked his car outside. But if he hadn't, we would have had no transportation because I live in the sticks and there's no public transit out here. So I would have had to Uber or Lyft or phone a friend. So this week, I'm going to learn how to manually open the garage. Yeah, but Ken would have opened it eventually. I mean, he would have shown you how to open it. But I mean, manually opening your garage is not as hard as you think. (laughs) (laughs) The way that it felt, I was like, oh, my God. Like, because, you know, when you wake up and you're like, I still don't have electricity. Like, this was supposed to fix itself overnight. The first thing I thought was, 
I don't know how long the food is going to keep, even with the door closed, because, you know, you say keep the doors of the refrigerator closed and the freezer so that it stays cold. I didn't think it was going to be the electricity was going to be off that long. So I'm thinking, okay. then, of course, the first thing I worry about is, oh, my goodness, my food. And we have electric appliances, so can't cook the food. The next thing was going to happen. We were going to have a grill outside grilling the food. Right. But like it was just a lot. And you don't really think about how much you need electricity until your electricity goes out. So and the backup like batteries for the sump pump and all that, like all of the like backup stuff, when electricity hits the the transmitter, it just doesn't doesn't work. So there was no water for a while. There was no electricity for a while. And there was no Internet for a while. Way too long for my liking and way too long for any of my business dealings. So I was over it. But I got through it on my cell phone for the day. And, you know, it actually felt kind of good to not be tethered to electronics. But I'm very glad that it's back now. I will say that. Now you see how we failed on that freeze last year, right? You know, people thought, oh, this freeze, oh, it's just a little freeze. No, it froze the pipes over. And frozen our electricity grid. It's a real thing to not have any electricity. I think that we take it for granted because we could just flip the light switch on, right? Or we can just, you know, do what we want to do. But when you don't have it, especially for more than 24 hours, it's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't flush my toilet. I can't, you know, take a shower. I can't do any of the things that you think you can do without electricity. You just, you literally can't do because we're so dependent on electricity. But I'm glad that you guys have electricity now. Me too. And shout out to, and we are not getting paid by them, but I'm always a proponent of putting the next person on. Shout out to the Clinique Active Body Wipes because that is how you clean one's body when you do not have access to electricity. Because it's literally for, like, you know, when you sweat, like after you have a, a workout and you can't get to the gym, I mean, you can't get to the shower. That's what you use them for. But it's also very useful when you don't have a shower because you have no water. So shout out to the Clinique Body Wipes because it did its job this morning. Appreciate y'all. Girl, they need to start calling them with them, like whole wipes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like instead of instead of that bird bath you're taking. You just... They come in travel packs, but it's like five smaller travel packs in each big pack and I use an entire pack. But look, I don't smell and I'm clean. So shout out. Real talk. Well, I'm glad you're not sitting around musky (laughs) at work. So shout out to Clinique. (laughs) Well, speaking of uh, companies that provide cleansing items, what's on your timeline, Janine? Okay, so this week, a brand that we all know and love made headlines for all of the wrong reasons. And you know what? It's not even their fault. It is 100% our fault. We are 100% to blame for this. And I say we, and by we, I mean Black Twitter. So the Black-owned feminine hygiene company, The Honey Pot, was in the news this week after Black Twitter was up in arms after discovering that the feminine wash that the company is known for is no longer, and I'm going to put in quotation marks, organic. And I will get back to why I put that in quotes later. So this sparked accusations that the company was no longer Black-owned and that it was sold to a white corporation. So to give you a bit of backstory about The Honey Pot, The Honey Pot is a plant-based feminine hygiene company that offers everything from feminine wash and wipes to pads and lubricant and even supplements. So the company was founded by Beatrice Dixon and her brother. So her brother loaned her, I think they said like $21,000 to found this company. She says that it was based on a formula that came to her from her grandmother. So the company has been super successful up until this point. And they've, they've been you know, highly acclaimed for their business and specifically because they're one of, if not the only black owned business in this particular feminine hygiene space. So they've been actually doing pretty well for the past decade. So this is also the same business. I don't know if you remember, but back maybe about a year ago, Beatrice was in an ad for Target and the ad came across kind of like 
distasteful. And we kind of rallied around them thinking that they were a target of discrimination. So we went from supporting this business and putting all of our trust into this particular business because, hey, they're a Black-owned feminine hygiene product and supporting them when we thought they were getting discriminated against to pretty much tearing this business down. So despite all of the, the accusations that were spreading on social media, Nicole, they were literally spreading like wildfire. One, one tweet was retweeted 10,000 times in less than 24 hours. The company, as I mentioned, was founded and is still owned by Beatrice Dixon, who has not sold to a white corporation. So these accusations came after the changes in the formula for their, their feminine hygiene wash specifically. So Black Twitter did what it does best, and it shared its uninformed, opinionated views. So they were saying things like, the honeypot went from black owned to black founded. That explains the rebrand, which is not the case. They're still black owned and black founded. Nothing has changed. And so this tweet went viral. And essentially, there were a number of responses. And the sentiment was that, you know, basically the company had sold out, but the, the tweet wasn't true. So another person said, why do black people keep doing this to us? They do this thing where once they make a company that helps us, they then sell it to the white people. And so this simple tweet that was then responded to turned into a complete storm, causing people to denounce the company. Some even started to personally attack the founder, Beatrice Dixon, and she ended up actually disabling her comments and notifications because it just had become too much. So she took to the company's IG page to try to dispel the rumors that Black Twitter had started. So she made three points. The first point was they are still Black-owned. She and her brother and the partners that they initially had when they founded the company are still owners of the company. Number two, they changed their formula for good reasons. She acknowledges that it kind of got ahead of them, so they did not get ahead of the communication and that they should have done a better job of communicating the change in formula. But she said that they changed their formula for very good reasons. She also said that they planned on sharing the communication, but because of some issues that they were facing with supply chain, which we all know everyone is facing, not just this particular company, they were forced to move their timeline of the rebrand up get it. It happens all the time. Right. And the third point that she made was she is human. And she kind of emphasized this. And I felt her on this one. Right. Like she's human. And this brand is her through and through. So what I got from that third point was stop attacking me. Like, remember that, yeah, this is a business, but this is my business. And this is my blood, sweat and tears, along with my partners that has gone into this. And remember that I'm still a human just like you are. So she then again emphasized that the honeypot has not been sold and repeated it saying that it was all a lie and they were rumors. She also said that, yes, they have evolved their washes, but it was going to happen anyway. It also is based on science, she says. So it's not necessarily about the label of organic, but more that it is plant-based, pH balance, and based heavily in science. She also said what she created it's now more safe and more effective. She went on to say that the formula change was planned, but the global supply chain issues caused them to have to move the plan up. So she kind of became tearful, telling the viewers that she doesn't mind answering any of their questions, even the ones that hurt. And then she said that she wants to apologize for the lack of communication. And then she reassured everyone that she would never make a product that was harmful. So to me, it all made sense. It seems that someone who understands the business, who understands marketing, who understands supply chain issues, they were all kind of in support of her in support of what she was saying. And you kind of saw that outpouring, but there were some others that continued to be naysayers and they continued to believe continue to believe the lies, essentially, and the speculation, and they prefer to continue to disparage the company. So 
a young lady who was a chemist and an esthetician, very educated Twitter Twitter user. She goes by actually the handle your fave chemist weighed in on this. And she kind of explained why the formula change happens, not just with this company, but with companies in general. She also explained the most important elements that were in the initial wash and what they look like now. And she explained the difference between a product that's 100% organic, a product that's organic, and a a product that is plant-derived. And again, I'll mention that I will share that information later in my Learn Something New. But she also did something that I thought was the most important. She called out the people who were jumping into the conversation with very little information and the people who were essentially harassing and threatening Beatrice. She said very specifically, it's sad that people are doing this to her. And she said, there will never be a time where hate speech is okay, no matter how you feel about the product. Now, the product seems to be still selling well from what I've seen. And the company seems to be in full-on damage control mode. They've used Twitter to share some additional knowledge. Um, They've also used some of their blog platforms. And one of the things that they tweeted, which I thought was cute, said, new ingredients, who dis? Let's learn more about lactic acid and why we've upgraded our washes with it. So they're kind of playing into the questions that people have and giving them knowledge so that they can actually make an educated or express an educated opinion about the, the new product. Another tweet that they shared is, y'all got questions on the wash formula? We've got answers. And remember the young lady that I just mentioned, your fave chemist? Well, smart team, the honeypot and your fave chemist have now teamed up. And on Wednesday, which will be the day before this episode airs, so you all will be able to go back and look at the information just in case you want to check it out. They are going to sit and break down the your fave chemist has a honeypot takeover and They're going to sit and break down all of the changes and answer all of the questions so that everyone who has some suspicion, skepticism, anything that they're feeling about this new product, they're going to break that down so that everyone can actually have the information that they need and make an educated decision as to whether they're going to continue to use this product or not. Now, Nicole, this Twitter thread goes from egregious rumor to... Essentially, a quick read that, you know, breaks down all of the information. So technically, the honeypot was never 100% organic. Never. So all of the belief that these people had that, oh, it was 100% organic to begin with, that is not the case. It was organic, but not 100% organic. So people, including me initially, who were in an uproar, we were all in an uproar about nothing. And when we really look at it, the concept of organic is essentially really just a marketing ploy. So the issue that I have with this, Nicole, is we as Black people can't shake the crabs in a barrel mentality. Whether we want to admit it or not, we still think that the white man's ice is colder. I don't know if it's the fact that we've been trained to believe that what someone else has is better. I don't know if we're accustomed to you know, white people, business practices being better. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we set the standards unreasonably high for African-American businesses. I have no idea. But I do know that in this case, and oftentimes what I've seen from Black Twitter, is that if we find one thing wrong with a Black business, we decide that we are going to tear the business down. And This is a perfect example of how one tweet that got retweeted and or shared over 10,000 times caused a business essentially to go into turmoil. So I hate that we scrutinize and tear down black businesses and black people without doing our research and knowing the whole story or the reasons why. So we want people to support us and give us grace in our little business ventures. But we quickly forget to extend that same grace necessary after a business gets to a certain level. And I don't know why we do this. I don't, I have no idea why we do this. So for me, it's about 
yes, if we have a problem with a minority business, yes, address it. But maybe not necessarily publicizing it like this unless there's something that they're doing that's negligent. I'm all about supporting our Black-owned businesses and helping them grow, even if it means giving them, you know, feedback. I don't know how you feel about it, but that's how I feel. What do you think, Nicole? I think that Black Twitter does a lot of this. And um, I think that Black people, we we should be empowered and we should be able to speak uh, our minds and, and share our opinions. But I have a problem when we do so without making sure we do our own research. Um, that's what we get into trouble. And I, and I say that obviously coming from a healthcare perspective, because I feel like people come in and tell me how to do my job and say they're advocating for themselves, but they don't know anything that they're talking about. That's not advocacy. You can't blindly advocate for yourself without having knowledge. You have to arm yourself with knowledge in order to advocate for yourself. And so that's what gets people in trouble. You refuse C-section, you refuse deliveries, you don't want to go to the hospital because you think somebody's out to get you. When in all reality, people are trying to help uh, negate further complications and people don't understand that because there's such a distrust, right? So I think that Black people have a distrust for people that are in corporate settings. Okay. And we do think that we sell out to Caucasian people too quickly, but the people that are talking, aren't the people selling and they're not business owners and they don't know how these things work. And so instead of making assumptions, I really would wish that people would ask more questions than just spreading lies and rumors. And I don't know if people have been under, uh, you know, uh, under somewhere in the North Pole that they don't understand that there's a shortage of like everything, everything, okay? Babies can't get formula right now because there's a shortage of formula. There's a shortage of everything, tissue, gas. I mean, you name it, there's a shortage. So of course people have to be versatile and they have to be flexible and they have to be able to pivot and adjust. That is what being an effective business owner is all about. You can't just say, oh, I'm not going to make any more product until I get this one ingredients in. That's how you go bankrupt. And people don't understand that. And you want to sit there and say, oh, honey pot sold out, honey pot sold out. Okay. You got one or two choices. Okay. One, you either don't buy the product. Okay. Or two, try the new product. And if you don't, if you don't like it, stop using it. If you use a new product and say, oh my God, they put lactic acid in their uh, ingredients now. And it caused me to have a rash. Okay, well, then find you another product without lactic acid in it. Don't assume that there's this pro- the product is inferior to what was initially put out there. Why are we making assumptions? And my thing is this, Janine, the same people that are talking, because when I had a business, people had, had a lot to say. Were the people not supporting my business? Are you even buying Honeypot products? Or are you just talking? Okay. Because if you're just talking and you're not putting your dollars where your mouth is, then you shouldn't have anything to say. You need to hush it. Don't say a word unless you spent your dollars and you are like, I am a faithful consumer of this product. And if you're not, then shame on you. Don't say anything. If you're not going to support it, just be quiet and not support it. Don't run your mouth and spread lies to people that do support it crazy. I agree. I think that a couple of things. One, you're absolutely correct. If you do not support the business, keep your mouth shut. You have nothing to say. You have no opinion on this, right? It's like when we talk about people complaining about politics. If you don't vote, don't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. That's number one. Also, two, if you don't understand the basic concept of business and scaling a business, please also keep your mouth shut because let's be very realistic. With any product, No matter what it is, at some point, as you scale your business, your formula will change. It is the simple nature of business. Please understand that you cannot do the same, you cannot make the same formula that you were making in your kitchen when you go to mass produce it. It just, I mean, really, let's, I mean, come on, you all. Let's really think about this, right? And then also, like Nicole said, there's a supply chain shortage. We can't even get certain number of computers at my job because there's a microchip shortage, right? So it's not just with, with plant-based products. It's with everything. So, 
And then I would also like to, as, as a, at an avid consumer of the honeypot, I'd like to say this. I appreciate the change in formula. I haven't used it yet. I will say that. So I haven't tried it. If it doesn't work for me, then I just won't use that particular product because I use other, you know, other products that they make. But I will say this. Prior to this, I've had, prior to the change in their formula, I've had a difficult time finding them. And one of the reasons why I haven't used the new formula is because prior to this, when I would find the, the wash, I would purchase multiple of them because I knew I was having a difficult time finding them. Now that I have a surplus, they're, the, the product is now everywhere. Now, what is the difference between when I couldn't find them and I would have to buy two and three at a time and now when every store I go to, I can find it? They change their formula because when you scale, you have to do things like changing your formula. And then the question that I would have to ask the people that are disparaging this business is this. Have you never used a Procter & Gamble product? Have you never used a Kimberly Clark product? Have you never used a product before that the formula has changed? I would venture to say if you've ever used Summer's Eve Feminine Wash, that product has changed numerous times. And how many times do you know that it's changed? I mean, there was even a point to my understanding, based on my research, that there was some sort of class action lawsuit based on the chemicals that they were using in Summer's Eve products. So you are going to disparage this plant-based business because they went from being plant-based and organic to being plant-based and non-organic, which literally means that they could have just sprayed chemicals on the same plants. So you're going to disparage them and make up rumors and lies about this business but you don't complain about the mainstream business, I'm confused. What's the difference other than the fact that this is a Black-owned business and we feel like we're entitled to an opinion because it's Black? It's disturbing the way that we do our our Black-owned businesses. It really is. Well, I don't like it either. And I think that we are very hypocritical when it comes to uh, Black-owned businesses. And we sort of sit back and judge and wait. You know, I hate to say that, but we sit back and judge and wait. And then people are like, oh, I'm so proud of this person. They have their own business, da, 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 da. But you're not buying no product, though. So what are you doing? So that's the thing I don't like about some Black-owned businesses, that they're not supported and they're just judged. And Honeypot being one of them. Because I know a lot of Caucasian people that use Honeypot products, okay? And we don't see them chiming in on Black Twitter. Hmm? Okay? So... We need to do better to support our own businesses because if we're talking about each other, then everybody else is, you know, they're like, well, you can't even support each other. Then why am I going to support you? We need to stop belittling each other like that. I agree. And let me tell you something. As you and I both have owned businesses before, right? And I'm very well aware that usually the first questions that I've received, oh, how are you going to hook me up? What is the discount? Do you go into the white establishments and ask about the discounts and how you're going to get hooked up? I'm just curious because I know that when I run my day job, no one asks me for discounts. They just say, what is the price? And then they pay for it. So why is it that with one another, we always feel like there's some sort of obligation to give each other a discount or a hookup? No, support the black business the same way you support the white business. Pay what their price is. And if you can't afford to pay, find another black business that is within your price range. That part. All right, Janine. So you ready to talk through some of these letters from our listeners? Let's do it. Okay. So my letter reads, Nicole and Janine, my sister had one too many bad experiences with black companies and now she refuses to support them. Her worst experience was with a black owned moving company. The truck showed up about four hours late to pick up her stuff. The next day, her stuff was delivered to her now new house, but several items were broken, including her TV, dining room table, and several glass items. She submitted a claim to the company who initially said they would pay to have their items replaced. However, the amount offered is under the value of the items, and she has yet to receive the check after five months. Her other bad experience was with a Black-owned catering company she used for her 35th birthday party. The caterer was late and had to rush to set the food up. Then several people, including my sister, have food poisoning. Now she refuses to be intentional about supporting black businesses. I told her she could have had these experiences with any company, 
But she claims this hasn't happened to her with other companies owned by other racial ethnicities. Ladies, I feel like my sister is judging Black-owned companies more critically than others. How can I change her mind and encourage her to, quote, buy Black, end quote, again? Signed, Maddie. So, Maddie, this is the hurdle that we do face when we are dealing with Black-owned businesses, because just like any other business, every Black-owned business isn't great, right? It's just like anything, All doctors aren't great. All event planners aren't great. All caterers aren't great. All moving companies aren't great. Now, I could sit here and tell you a story about when I moved from Philadelphia back home to D.C. And not only was the company late, they didn't bring all of my stuff. They ripped the crown molding off the side of my wall. It was a nightmare. It was literally a nightmare. A two-hour move. All of my things got put on a truck. Again, it wasn't a Black-owned business, right? So it, as you're telling her, It can happen with any business. What I would suggest to her is that she just do a little bit more research. Use businesses that you can get referrals from, right? Don't write off all Black-owned businesses because if we wrote off all businesses of a specific ethnicity that we had bad problems with, we wouldn't be using any services because someone always has to be the worst, just like someone has to be the best, right? We just hope that it's not a Black-owned business. I would suggest to her, I were you, Maddie, I would say, hey, here are some Black-owned businesses that I've used, that my friends have used, that people recommend. Utilize those businesses because they seem to be reputable. Let's not just randomly go on IG or go into the the yellow pages, if we even use that anymore, or Google Black-owned businesses and pick one randomly. Use businesses where you can get referrals from, right? Like, use businesses where you know someone who's used them before. And they can recommend what the business is good at and what they might not be so good at, right? So don't try to get your sister Maddie to not write off all black black owned businesses because there are some amazing black owned businesses. And I hate that we even have to say there are some amazing. Most black owned businesses are amazing, right? Find the ones that are great. Every company is not going to be great, whether it's owned by black people, white people, or people from the moon. Every company is not going to be great. Utilize the ones that are amazing and don't write them all off because at the end of the day, you would be, be surprised. Some of the best companies that I've found specifically for things like catering and moving are actually black owned companies. And honestly, you know what, before this episode airs, I'm going to go look up some black owned moving companies and some black owned catering companies and post them so that, you know, you can share them with your sister. What do you think, Nicole? Well, I'll be waiting for those Black-owned moving companies when you post them. That's what I say. But no, real talk, I've had really poor experiences with some Black-owned companies as well, but I've had poor experiences with all companies. So, and I feel like a moving company, you just have to be patient. Like moving in itself is very frustrating. You are, you know, trying to pack your stuff up. You're trying to get it on the truck. The truck is going to be running late. People always underestimate the time it's going to take to pack your stuff or put your stuff on the truck, just at baseline, if you're moving, have patience that day of the move. Now her stuff getting broken, there's like, that's like unacceptable and they need to replace it immediately. So I'm really not sure what's taking so long. So she should, you should encourage her to follow up with that company. But, um, but in terms of moving companies, I mean, I don't know anybody that's like, I had an amazing experience with my move. I don't know anybody that can say that. I just say, you know, Give yourself some days around a move because it's going to take longer than it's supposed to. But in terms of how do you encourage your sister to support black companies, when you guys go out, I would be intentional if I were you in taking her to places that are black owned, right? And taking her to places that you know are like fabulous and black owned. So if you guys go to brunch, take her to a fabulous black owned brunch company. And then while you're sipping your mimosa, say, mm-hmm, and black owned. <laughs> and then you take her to the next place and you say, aha, uh-huh, and black owned. So you show her examples of black excellence. But at the end of the day, she a grown woman. She can do whatever she wants to do and she can put her money wherever she wants to put it. All you can do is show her examples of black excellence. And if she decides to go back to those places or take other people to those places in the future, then you know that she is supporting a black owned company. Um, That's pretty much all I would suggest that you do. I mean, you can't really like 
hold her head underwater and say, girl, you better support Black-owned businesses now. I mean, because what she's saying is not that she won't support them. She's just not going to be extra intentional and going out of her way to support Black businesses. Like for me, I sometimes will go out of my way and pay a little bit higher of a price if I compare prices because it's Black-owned. Like that would be the thing that tips me over to supporting a company. I'm like, okay, well, I can pay a little bit more. It's Black-owned. I want to support them, right? What she's saying is I'm not going to do that anymore. If they have a better product and they're Black-owned, then I'm going to go with them. And, and I can respect that. Like I don't expect somebody to support something that's subpar. Like I don't expect my patients to say, I want to see a Black doctor and be like, I'm going to see Dr. Plenty, even though she doesn't give as good of care because she's Black. I mean, I would not expect for anybody to do that. So as people that own Black businesses, we need that feedback. You know, we need to hear that, hey, this is my experience. So I would definitely encourage her to tell about her experiences so that these companies can learn from that and and be better in the future for her as a customer or other people as customers. And then, you know, encourage her by showing her to support uh, Black businesses. But we got to, you know, we can't expect her to support subpar Black businesses. I mean, if if I'm not the person that somebody's supposed to be seeing to treat their pregnancy, by all means, I want you to get the best care you can get. And if I'm not doing it for you, please go somewhere else. Don't Don't come to me just because I'm Black. And we should never do that. We should never just support somebody blindly just because they're Black. Now, I will try companies out. Okay, like, oh, I see them. They have pretty good reviews. Let me try this company out. But before I try them out on a big event, I'm going to try them out on a smaller event. Like, okay, let me try them out on Easter dinner. Okay. And then if they're good, I'm going to try them out on the birthday party. Okay. So maybe encourage her to try them out on smaller scales before giving them big time business. That's a great idea. Don't, again, and that's something that I think that I don't, wasn't clear about, but don't blindly support any business because it's black. It's just, you know, any Joe Schmo can open up a business just like any Joe Schmo can open up a white business. Like just let's do our research. Like I think that one of the, the main themes that has come across through this entire episode is doing your research. And when you do your research, you'll find things that you like and you'll find what works for you and your plan and how you, how you move about in your, you know, atmosphere Use those businesses. All right, Jenny. So what does your letter read? So my letter reads, it's another sister situation. So it says, hi, ladies. I hope you can help me help my sister. My little sister owns a restaurant in Maryland, and I want her to let it go. Now, let me explain. My millennial sister opened this restaurant in 2010, funded by her savings and her 401k. The food is great. Don't get me wrong. The restaurant is also successful, but I believe that it is too much work and she is overwhelmed, especially since the pandemic. Since the start of the pandemic, she has pared down on her menu items. She is now only open four of the seven days a week and she still only does carry out orders. She has not gone back to dine in service. While she said that she made these adjustments so she can maintain her employees, I'm concerned that this is the beginning of the decline of her business. When I ask her about this, she tells me that this adjustment in her business model has allowed her to not only bounce back from 2020, but also allowed her to increase her profit margin. While I believe her, I still think the fact that she still doesn't have dining service and she won't bring back the other menu items and the fact that she only is open Thursday through Sunday looks bad and seems very stereotypical of black businesses. I don't want her to go out like this. Ladies, how can I convince my sister to either bring back the old or close the business for good? Signed, Ruth Ann. So I'm confused by this letter a little bit because it sounds like her sister is cutting down on her days to make sure that her business keeps people employed and is making a profit. But the sister is saying, no, you need to go back to what you were doing because this is like the decline of your business. I think that's what she's saying. So I'm wondering, is the sister a co-owner? Because 
if you're not a co-owner, then mind your business. Because if you're not paying anybody's salary, you're not doing anybody's payroll, you're not covering any inventory, you're not covering the cost of lease, you're not covering anything, then you have to trust your sister's judgment. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And as somebody that did own casual a casual dining restaurant, it is hard out here in these streets, especially if people are working from home. When you're working from home, you're eating at home. You're not eating out as much. So restaurants, especially Black-owned restaurants, have taken quite the hit this pandemic, okay? So if she's doing what she has to do to scale down because that's what she can afford right now, then who are you to try to read her books when you don't see her books? So I would just suggest that perhaps you ask your sister if she needs help. You ask her more questions about why she's scaling down some, but unless you are putting dollars there to support her and revving her business back up to full time, then uh, sister, respectfully, shut the hell up. Nicole, I agree with you. So I kind of took a little bit of a different turn. So Ruthann, based on your name and based on the fact that you pointed out that your sister is younger and she's your millennial sister. It seems to me that you all just have a a little bit of a different of generations right here, right? It seems to me that your sister's business is doing well. You said she opened it in 2010. This business has been open for over 10 years, 12 years at least, right? Why are you so hesitant to believe that she knows what she's doing? She's been in business for 12 years. She didn't just start this. Like, This is over a decade. I don't think that she really needs you to kind of co-sign what she's doing or to validate the decisions that she's making with her business. And it sounds like this. It sounds like your sister is a millennial and she's going with what her passion is and she's making her passion work, right? It sounds like you might be a little bit more, you need a secure, stable situation. Sounds like you might be a Gen X or a a boomer, right? Nothing wrong with it. It's just two different viewpoints on things, right? But let your sister live and do what makes her happy with her business. The the thing that stuck out to me is that you said that your sister pared down the days and the menu items and hasn't gone done all of this because she wanted to maintain her employees. So she didn't lay people off during the pandemic. Doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like she made any changes to employment but she made changes to the business so that she could maintain the employees, which is admirable. She could have done like all of these Fortune 500 CEOs and let a ton of people go to maintain their salary, but that's not what she did. She seems like she worked through her business model to figure out how she could maintain her employees and still have a viable business. And it seems to be doing well. If you say that you believe her, there's no indication that her business is failing. It just seems like she's not doing it the way you want her to do it. And Ruthann, not for nothing, but like, why does she have to run her business the way you want her to run it? You said in the letter that she funded this business with her savings and her 401k. It Never said that you gave her any money for this business, that you had to help her with this business, that she used family money for this business. It says that she basically self-funded this business. That means that she can make the decisions of how this business runs. I'm confused as to why you feel so entitled to an opinion about this business. I mean, the whole entire beauty of being an entrepreneur is that you get to make the decisions and you can subsequently make the adjustments necessary to make sure that your business runs smoothly. I don't know what you're looking for here. And the other thing that I don't know what you're saying is the term stereotypical black business. What does that mean that she seems to be doing like a stereotypical black business? Is that because she's only open Thursday through Sunday? Okay, if she's only open Thursday through Sunday, that's her time for her business to be open. I know a bunch of restaurants who are not open on certain days. And I also know a bunch of other businesses who are not hairdressers. Perfect example. They're not open on Mondays and Tuesdays. Why? Because people come get their hair done on Saturdays and Sundays a lot, right? So what is it that we're out here really doing? I don't know, Ruthann, but it sounds like it might be a little tinge of of, uh, jealousy in this letter to me. Nicole, were you feeling some sort of jealousy? It feels weird to me. It just feels like it's not adding up. I won't say that I feel, I sense jealousy because I would hate for somebody's sister to be jealous of them. But I think that she's pulling the, I'm older, I know best. 
I'm the older sister, so you need to follow my guidance um, type deal. And as somebody that is an older sister, when you feel like your younger sister isn't succeeding or, you know, is going down um, a path that's not advantageous, you do become a little bit more protective. You know, you want to help and nudge and guide them in a certain direction. So I don't, I, I don't want to assume that she's jealous, but I do think that she has big sister mentality and she's trying to take over, but this is not hers to take over. This is your sister to take over. And guess what? If she happens to need to close her business, the last thing she needs from you is, and I told you so, or you should have done it this way. She needs your support and she needs your respect as a business owner because she's done this successfully for over a decade. So she should be applauded for making it this far through the pandemic because a lot of us, including me, did not make it this far. So um, so I, I know it's very tempting to try to come in, take over, tell her what she needs to do, what she doesn't need to do, but show her a little bit of grace, trust that she knows what she's doing. And if she ends up having to close, then that's her decision. That's her bed to lay in. That's not your bed to lay in. So that's all I have to say about that. I mean, I think that that big sister mentality is is a real thing. Um, but realize that she's going to be okay regardless. Yeah, I think I was a little bit disappointed in this letter. And I think I was disappointed because it. I feel like as a big sister, she should, as you said, help. Try to figure out how you can help your sister, right? Like try to figure out what you can do to help her, even if the business does close, right? Figure out how you can help her in the situation as opposed to like, it almost feels like there's no support here. It almost feels like you're kind of waiting and anticipating the end of your sister's business. From all indications in the letter that you wrote us, her business seems to be doing well. It's you that's fearful that it's going to end, right? It's you that has the the hesitation. So maybe rather than kind of projecting your hesitation onto your sister, see what you can do to help support or continue to support her business. All right, Jenny. So what did you learn new this week? Okay, so I know that I've mentioned it couple of times in the episode already, but I wanted to delve a little deeper into what it means to be labeled organic for cosmetic and beauty products and also body care products. So according to the USDA, the FDA does not define organic for cosmetic and body care products. If a product can meet the USDA and the NOP, which is the National Organic Program Standards for production handling, processing, and labeling, it may be eligible to be certified as organic under the NOP regulations. So that means that it would be eligible for one of four organic category labels. So the first organic category label is 100% organic. That means that the product must contain only organically produced ingredients. The second label is just organic. That's what Honeypot was labeled, right? And that means that the product must contain at least 95% of organically produced ingredients. That means that the remaining products must not be commercially available in organic form. The third one is made with organic ingredients. And that means that the product contains at least 70% organic ingredients, meaning not produced with any chemicals. And then if it's less than 70%, it can identify specific ingredients as organic, but it cannot claim to be organic. So there is also a note from the USDA that says they are not the authority on product labeling. And there are other organizations that certify products, their private, you know, through private standards to be considered organic. So there are other labels like eco-friendly, environmentally friendly, foreign organic, and earth-friendly that also mean the exact same thing. So as I said before, the concept of organic is really more about marketing than it is anything else. It doesn't really tell you what is in the product. And organic literally means that there were no chemicals in the fertilizer or pesticides used or any other artificial agents used in the growing of the products. So it could literally be the same product and one product has chemicals in the fertilizer and one product does not have chemicals in the fertilizer. To me, based on what I've read, it's more important to have plant-based products than for it to necessarily be organic. That's what I learned. 
What did you learn new this week, Nicole? That was very enlightening. Thank you for sharing that tad bit of information with us so that we can do what? Gain knowledge, okay? So that we can stop making assumptions, okay? Hmm. Okay, so what I learned, I learned a couple of things. So one, during the pandemic, 41% of Black-owned businesses shut down according to the 2020 census data um, by April, okay? But also the number of Black-owned businesses in the U.S., it's currently 30% above the pre-pandemic level. So we are busting it. And that is because of the amount of Black-owned businesses by Black women, okay? We are doing the dang on thing. The other thing that I learned was uh, the best states for Black entrepreneurs, okay? And that is by Merchant Maverick State Rankings, which is based on Black-owned businesses per capita, the percentage of the workforce employed by Black-owned businesses, the average annual payroll of Black-owned businesses, and the average annual income of Black business owners. So coming in at number 10 is Alabama, okay? Who would have thought Alabama was in the top 10? Go, Alabama. Number nine is Georgia. Number eight is New Mexico. Seven is Ohio. Six is North Carolina. Five is Delaware. Nevada is number four. All right, now on to our top three. Number three is Texas. All right, Texas flexing in Texas. Number two is Maryland. And then number one is Virginia. So those are the top 10 states for Black entrepreneurs. So if you're thinking about starting a business in one of those states, hey, you'll probably be pretty successful. Yes, I'm proud of us. I am proud because all of those places that we that you mentioned, those are places where we have listeners. So shout out to all of you all who are starting businesses. Like, great job. Keep us on the map. That's right. All right. Are you ready for the motivational moment? Yes, I am. And it comes from Eleanor Roosevelt. And she said, do what you feel in your heart to be right. For you'll be criticized anyway. You'll be damned if you do and damned if you don't. So keep being your fabulous self and keep grinding. If they're talking, that means they're noticing. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh That's Deep BWC. Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.